series. It's not quite over yet, but it is uh, headed toward the end of that. So if you were going to try to read all the way through it, you still got time. You've got like two more weeks to read through it. And also the Bible doesn't end. So if you miss this series, you could just keep reading and you'll be all right. But if you haven't been here, let me tell you some of the things that have been going on, okay? As we get into the passage that I'm going to read today, I want y'all to be paying attention to two main things that are happening in the backdrop. Before I read the passage, I need you to pay attention to this. And as we're reading it, I want you to hear these things in the background, okay? The first thing that I want to highlight is Hannah. I got to preach about her um, the first week that we started the series, and it just was such a special passage in my heart. And this woman is, is such a um, dear, she's becoming more and more dear to me the more I get to know about her. And so Hannah has this incredible encounter with the Lord, um, and then she gives birth to this son, Samuel, who maybe she wasn't going to be able to have until God encountered her, and then she was. So after that, she sings this song to the Lord, and that's what I want you to pay attention to in the background. Her song starts with, with just exaltation to the Lord, just like we did today. You are holy, you are wonderful. She says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. She starts her prayer by exalting God. But then after that, she says uh, some things that people don't usually say in the song. Don't, do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. So she exalts him, but then immediately like every other thing come up. Then she keeps going on to the end to say, it is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be brought The Most High will thunder from heaven, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king, and exalt the horn of his anointing. So her prayer is this prayer of exaltation to the Lord, and at the same time, um, highlighting and bringing low everything that would try to exalt itself above the Lord. And then the middle parts of the prayer are her talking about this topsy-turvy thing. She says something about the low being come high, being able to be exalted with Jesus. So if you were poor, she, she, made, she said that he's made you wealthy. If you were struggling, he said that he's made you whole. That kind of thing. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the first section. Exalting God, bringing the arrogant low, and bringing the humble up. That's the first backdrop. Second backdrop, I need you to know the background of what was going on in the story. So uh, before this part of our passage, we know that Israel had Samuel as their main leader, and the people were like, we don't want Samuel, we want a king, like everybody else, everybody got a king, how come I can't got a king? I, I can't have a king, it's really bad ground. How come I can't have a king like everybody else does? So the Lord says, you definitely have sinned against me for asking for a king. However, I'm going to give you a king, and as long as you and your king serve me and don't turn to any other gods, you guys will be okay. If you start doing that, you're going to get in trouble. So they anoint Saul as their king. Um, Saul's first act, the spirit of God comes on him right before he gets anointed as king, and they defeat these people, and it's amazing. You're like, oh, Saul's going to be a great king. People are excited. God doesn't seem upset. Everything is going well. All right. Then Saul's second act as a king, is really, really poor. Samuel says, wait seven days. 
I'm gonna uh, come back in seven days, we're gonna put this stuff on the altar, we're gonna sacrifice these things to God together. Seven days go by, Samuel doesn't show up, Saul gets, I don't know, nervous, and so he puts the sacrifice on the altar before Samuel gets there and gives it to the Lord, and Jake, Jake killed it last week, talking about the fear of God, and how you could worship and do a witchcraft at the same time. I was like, oh my God, Lord, I never thought about that. So Saul's worship to the Lord was not worship to the Lord, but it was an attempt to control him and to get him to do his own thing. Okay, but before that piece happened, Saul sent, and uh, Jay didn't talk about this, but Joel did, so if you want to listen to the podcast, you'll hear this piece. Saul sent Jonathan and his son out to go poke the bear of the Philistines. I'm going to send a thousand of y'all over there, and y'all go fight, and we'll see what happens. So he sent a thousand people over there, they fight, it's looking good, and then the Philistines get really upset. And they send, like, everybody. Thousands of chariots, thousands of charioteers, thousands of soldiers. There's so many soldiers that the sand is uh, about the same number as them. Wow. So, uh, too many people. So this is the background that we're about to walk into. The Philistines, since Saul won a the Philistines are mobilized, and they camp themselves around three different camps in Israel. And they have more soldiers and weapons than they can count. You should know that the Philistines made sure that the Israelites didn't have any weapons. Because they were afraid that if I give you weapons, you will revolt and you will try to kill us, so you don't have any weapons. So all the Israelites have are two swords. Saul had a sword, his son had a sword. Everybody else has farming equipment. Everybody else has plows, some seeds, rocks, anything you can use to farm, that's what the Israelites have, and that's all they're allowed to have. The Philistines are mobilized. Um, when Israel saw that the Philistines were mobilized, they were terrified. They started to scatter this left Saul. Only 600 men of Saul stayed. So Israel is hiding in caves. They only have farm equipment and two swords, and most of their soldiers have left. Okay? It's looking real good for Israel right now, right? No, we're about to struggle. All right, so that's where we come into this story. Israel is hiding. The Philistines are waiting. The Philistines are mighty and arrogant. And that's where Jonathan comes to this. If you don't know Jonathan, he is a very fun character, and I think, well, person, but in the Bible, you're going to enjoy getting to know him. All right, y'all ready to read? Yeah. It's a lot, so just brace yourselves. All right, now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to pass at Mi'kmash. Um, keep going. Let me tell you about this real quick before we keep going. The Israelites are mountain people. They live on the mountains. The Philistines live on the ground, okay? So the Israelites had the high ground to start. My brothers always play fight each other. And uh, when my brother, my younger brother, will win, he'll say, Anakin, I have the high ground. And I don't watch Star Wars. I don't know what that's from. But I just feel cool when I hear you say that. So just take that for a so the, the Israelites are usually the people who have the high ground, and the Philistines usually have the low ground. But because they got so scared, they just ran, like, off the mountain. They lost the high ground. They're just hiding in caves. So now the Philistines are encamped on high grounds around the Israelites. And where the Israelites are, they're lower. And there are these rocky cliff paths where all the people are. Y'all following this? I'm trying to draw with my hands. Y'all tracking? Okay, great. Now let's read. Now the detachment of the Philistines had gone out to pass at Michmash. 
One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come on, let's go over to the Philistine outpost to the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Zibiah, of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Abijah, who was wearing the ephod, which is like a priestly garment for worship. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, and son of Phinehas, and the son of Eli, I can say that one, and the Lord's priest at Shiloh. None of them were aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan had intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. That's the cliff I was talking about. One was called Bozes, and the other was called Sinea. Maybe. The one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, and the other to the south towards Gibeah. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let us go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in your mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then. We will cross toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will not stay where they they are, and we will not come up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will climb up, because that will be our sign the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost, saying, look, And the Philistines said, look, to the Hebrews, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes that they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and the armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to the armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet and his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in, an, in about an acre and a half. All right, that's the first half. Isn't this exciting so far? Jonathan and his one friend, him and one other guy. I was reading this and I was like, man, if I ever need to rob a bank, I need whoever this friend is. You know, if I ever need to do something that's really intense, or even some of the stuff that we do in ministry, like, like for, for other things, yes. But for some of the stuff we do in ministry, the Lord sent the disciples out in two, right? Because that's it. I got me, I got you, we got the Lord, we go. Okay? It, it really don't take that many. So we got like 50? Come on. I'm, I'm scared for the Philistines of Alcoba. Scared for them. Alright, so that's the first half. Jonathan has climbed a mountain on his hands and feet and killed 20 people with his one friend. And the Lord has given him over. Now that was Jonathan and his armor bearer's part. Let's read about the part where God shows up and does what he's going to do. All right, y'all with me still? Good. All right, 15. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and in the field, and those in the outpost and raiding parties. And the ground shook, and it was a panic sent by God. Now, let's talk about Saul. Saul's lookout at Gibeah of Benjamin saw the armies melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and let's see who has left us. Left, who has left us. 
When they did, it was Jonathan and the armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Abijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with, Israel. it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult of the Philistines camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand, which means like, just stop praying, just, just stop praying. Then Saul and all the men assembled and went into battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved beyond the hill. I know it feels like you should clap because like that is like, man, God did such an amazing, beautiful thing in this moment with this little act that Jonathan and his armor bearer did. He caused this earthquake to happen and the Philistines started turning on each other and every man that had run away in terror now comes back and was like, I was always with the Israelites. <laughs> you know, and they joined the team and it said a little bit further down that uh, Saul's army now numbered 10,000. So he went from having 600 men to after this one battle, moving up to 10,000. Huge, huge event. I don't know, trust them. They say, <laughs> yeah, they do seem a little bit untrustworthy, a little bit fake. However, we, this, this is what happened. All right, so let's, let's break down this passage because this is a beautiful story. And I think the Lord really does enjoy like, the art of, of telling beautiful stories. I think the biblical writers enjoy that. But it's not just a story. There's a lot going on here. So let's break some of this down so we can understand it, okay? First couple of things I want to highlight. Jonathan is Saul's son. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, and Saul is the least in the tribe of Benjamin. So Saul is the lowest of the lowest tribe, and Jonathan is the son of the lowest from the lowest tribe. So there is this already super lowness about Jonathan. Now at this point in Saul's life, Saul is kind of weird. Sometimes he's super proud and arrogant, and then sometimes he's like hiding in a cave. And it said that Saul was in, under a tree in a cave. You really afraid if you in a cave under a tree. <laughs> Meanwhile, his son is climbing up a mountain on his hands and feet. So this is a really hot, heavy contrast, and the Lord starts to make this contrast through this passage between uh, Jonathan and who he is and Saul and who he is. And they have a very similar starting place. They're both the lowest of the low. But how Saul handles his life and how Jonathan handles his life is what this passage is starting to highlight. And that's what we're paying attention to. So first thing I want you to pay attention to about Saul. It says that Saul was with his priest, whose name was Abijah. And the Bible says that uh, Abijah was the nephew of Ichabod. I don't know the Bible to mention nephews too often. Why would, you, why would you need that? And I was reading a commentator talk about that. And he was like, it almost feels like a meaningless piece of information. Why would you tell us that the priest who's with Saul is Ichabod's nephew? And who even is Ichabod? Why does he even matter? So I started looking that up, and what I found is Ichabod's name means the glory has departed. So just think about the symbolism of that. I think the Lord might have 
Michael trying to highlight that the place that Saul is standing in is one where the glory has already departed. Up while you sit under this tree in this cave. As consulting the glory has departed. Meanwhile, we got uh, Jonathan. Go back. Don't push on this. Y'all don't see this. Alright. Meanwhile, we got Jonathan, who's at the bottom of this mountain with his one friend. And he says, Alright, I'm gonna come up to where the mountain is. I'm gonna go show myself to the Philistines. And if they say, come up here, then I'll come up. But if they say, wait right there, I'm coming to get you, we out. Because there's too many of them. Remember, I told you the uh, the Philistines had taken the high ground? So Jonathan would have had to be walking uphill, and these people would have been fighting him downhill. If you've ever tried to run downhill versus uphill, one group clearly has an advantage. And it's rocky and cliffy. So Jonathan already recognized that if I'm going to have to fight you while you're running down, I'm about to die. So I would have had to have asked you to let you see me, and you would have had to let me climb up safely before this fight could even happen, because otherwise, he was going to die. And so in this moment, Jonathan has this brilliant plan, and it's a really solid plan, but the reason this plan is so significant is because he, unlike his dad, is not trying to control the Lord. He is like, where are you, God? I'm going to step out and do this thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask for, for a way to find out where you are, because I don't know where you are. So he has this good plan, but he submits his plan before the Lord, and he gives this option that's going to help him figure out what the will of the Lord is. And the will of the Lord just so happens that he was going to climb his mountain and defeat everybody. Amen. But that's very different from Saul's thing. Saul was like, we are, last chapter, last Sunday, Saul was like, we are about to fight these Philistines, so let me just go ahead and get God on my side real quick. Let me offer these worship so he can get on my side so I can go fight the Philistines. Do you hear the difference in that? One is searching for God. Where are you? The other one is God, do my thing with me. What do I need to do to get you to do my thing with me? And that's the difference. And I think that's part of the difference in why the Lord responded the way that he did. So it would have been one thing if Jonathan had, if the Lord said, yes, I'm with you, and Jonathan had climbed up and killed those 20 people. That would have been super significant. But the Lord really was with him, and you can tell because there's an earthquake that happens, and then the people just kill each other. He doesn't even have to fight anymore after that. So that's the difference between asking God to come do your thing and asking what is your thing that you're doing, God, and how can I join? Because he always does more than you expect him to do. You expect him to let you fight these 20 people. And he does, which is exciting. But you don't expect an earthquake to defeat everybody else. You don't expect that. You don't expect that the enemies would turn on each other. You don't expect that. And lately in my own life, I've been seeing that he does that. As I've been waiting on him more. There have been some situations that just did not look good. And I had a plan on how I was going to resolve it. And just by the grace of God, I did not resolve it in that way. I just waited. And then he made a big old fuss. that I was like, maybe you're doing a lot, though. Maybe you're doing too much. And he's like, clearly not. I was like, all right, well, I'm cool with that. Let's do it. And so I'm learning this about God. There's a difference between inviting him into your thing and seeking to do his thing. Make sense? Yeah. All right, so that's the first thing I want to highlight. You can go to the secret slide now. <laughs> I love that. So Jonathan is searching for God's desire. 
see it, right? It says eyes. Right. They're clear, clearly. He says, let's go up the mountain to these uncircumcised men. First of all, I'm not in the business of insulting large armies. Like, that's, that's really brave. The Philistines had thousands and thousands of chariots, and they had all weapons because they didn't let um, Israel make any weapons. So the Philistines have every weapon that the, the uh, Israelites could not build. So they have everything. They have the high ground. They have thousands of soldiers, and they have uh, chariots. And he's like, man, let's go get these uncircumcised men. I was like, oh my gosh, you brother, you are a brave man. But it wasn't that he was just so brave. If you know things about Old Testament scripture, you know that circumcision was the mark of God on these people. Circumcision was, was the way that God distinguished his people from the other people. And that was God's choice to do it that way. I'm not even giving them a sticker. But that was the mark. And so in this moment when he's highlighting, let us go up to these uncircumcised men, what he's saying is these men do not carry the heart of God the way that we do. These men have not been chosen by the Lord the way that we do. You've made promises to us. Since Abraham, since Moses, the promises you've made to us is that we are yours and you will take care of us. So who are these people who have not encountered this God who have come up against us? Who are they? Who do you think they are little sticks? Who are they? We're going to climb up this mountain and meet them. And that is exactly God's perspective. That was the whole point from the beginning. When you were saying, I want a king, I want a king, the Lord was saying, I am your king.
and sees me here while this is happening, I'm going to get in trouble. So everybody's talking about where they're going to be at and what they're going to do. And I'm like, no, I'm going home. So I start walking home. And the people are getting off the bus. And I'm walking. I live downhill, downhill, downhill. And that's close at. So I'm walking down the first hill. And there's all this talking, talking, talking. Then the talk gets loud. And I'm like, no, 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 go home. And the talk gets louder and louder. I'm going home, going home. And so then, you know, then it's like, oh, man, everything is happening. Okay, let's just go see. So we're out there to see what's going on. And of course, what is going on is what we expect to be going on. There are people fighting, all those things happening. I'm like, man, this is really messy. Why did I run into this? I don't know. So I'm standing there, and all these things are happening. And then there's a car coming up the street. Now, here's where the story takes a turn. I have no idea whose car is coming up the street, right? It doesn't matter whose car is coming up the street because it could be my mom's car. I just run. I just run. Just for the sheer possibility that my mom could have been in that car. I'm out. I take the back way to people's yards and I'm walking home on my street like I never was standing at that point. Nothing. And that's all I had to say. And you know she never asked me about that. And I thank God because I'm here with you today. <laughs> and so in this moment, we're criticizing Saul, but he feels so relatable to me. Because in this moment, he is really, he starts out trying to do the thing that that is the thing that you should be doing. Like you should be consulting the Lord. Even though there's all this commotion going on, you should be consulting the Lord. There is something we've already talked about. You already got in trouble one time for not consulting the Lord. Saul, I mean, uh, Samuel already told him the Lord was upset with you for the first time you didn't consult him well. So you already know what you should be doing. But the commotion is getting louder, and the people are getting restless, and that desire to, I don't know, be a hero, to lead, to not be the least of the least for once in your life. Starting to rise up and then it starts to speak really, really loud. And so that sound causes him to say, just withdraw your hand. We'll go down there and see what's going on. And that's the difference. The Lord is doing something to, to the Israelites. <laughs> It wasn't even that 
he was so like, special, because he still saw Saul. So he still grew up under the house of Saul, under the rules of Saul, watching Saul. I don't know what made Jonathan special, but there was something about him that was just like, I believe you. Like, if you said you were this, I believe you. And maybe not. I think Jonathan also was like, where did that? I think he also was like, maybe this isn't going to work out. And we'll see, but God will still be good. But there was something about him that really trusted the Lord and that led him into bravery. He wasn't brave for bravery's sake. He was brave because of him trusting the Lord. In the same sense, Saul trusts the people and acts brashly and cowardly. Sometimes he's big and bold. Sometimes he's not. And so the summary of those two things together, as I thought about this whole passage, this is what I came to. (laughs) Saul is the personification of the people's heart condition. I'm going to say that Saul is the personification of the people's heart condition. It said that Saul was taller than everybody else. Saul was handsome. Saul started off really good, but clearly he considers all the whispering of everybody. Do you think we should stay? Maybe we shouldn't stay. How do you feel? Y'all scared? I'm scared too. This is crazy. Saul is, is the embodiment of these people's hearts. And the people's hearts were in a place that did not know the Lord, did not consider him, are much more concerned with what everybody else is doing, or with how low I feel, how inferior I feel. Everybody else has a king, we don't have a king. Everybody else is from a worthy, wonderful tribe, I'm the least of the least. And Saul is beautiful as a character because Saul's heart condition is not just Saul's heart condition. This is all of our heart condition. Saul is all of us. I was at that fight because of my heart condition. We haven't been privy or a party to stuff because of what's been going on in our own hearts. I've looked at my life recently. Devontae and I had to pay taxes for the first time. We haven't been evading taxes. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we made just a little bit more money to where we didn't get a refund. We woke up. That's so stupid. This is not my political commentary. Let me move on. I was so upset. Like, man, how come I gotta pay you because I made money? That don't make sense. I must be broke. No, I don't, but it's just frustrating. So this is my first time navigating this, and it was really difficult. And the bill that we got was like, what? We work at a church. And you know, Devontae started a business. Clean shoes in the store. Clean shoes in the store. That's not fair to me. Anyway, um, he started a business, and I think he really wants to grow this, and I want to give him space to grow this, but I'm looking at this tax thing. And I'm looking at our finances, and I'm like, man, God, I don't think this is going to work. I know you spoke to him about this, but I don't know if this is going to work because we need money. Who is going to feed us? And so then I started putting all this pressure on my husband, like, husband, you got to, you got to, Talking about praying for her husband. So I started praying for Devontae. I started praying. 
And the Lord spoke to me so quietly, started bringing up Saul. And he was just like, you are looking at all that stuff. And it is taking your eyes off me. Have I ever brought you to a place to let you just struggle? Did I call you to this city, to this house, to this company, to this people to abandon you? Have I ever done that? Have you ever wanted for anything that I have not taken care of for you? And he was so gentle with it. And thank God he was gentle because the world was like a knife. And I was like, man, you are so right. That is not your character. And for a moment, I was so caught up in my stuff that I, I forgot about your character. And he so gently reminded my heart. And you know what? It brought me peace. Not in the fact that our bank account is better, because it's not. But in the fact that he's still good. And I've come to trust his character. When we moved up here, I had lived in apartments for forever. And I was like, God, for right now, I don't want to share a wall with nobody. I just want to share a wall with my husband. That's it. If there was no house available, the week that we moved in, a house came available and moved into the house. That was day one. So why at day 500 will we start being different? He's not. And he spoke that to my heart. But Saul is important for us to be paying attention to because that's us. And the Lord is highlighting Saul and contrasting him to David. I mean, not to David, to David later. But to Jonathan first. Because Jonathan's life is pointing to a new kind of kingdom. It's pointing to a new kind of kingdom where, yes, there are insurmountable issues. There is a mountain, and above the mountain, there is an enemy. And you can think about that metaphorically in your life. There was a mountain, and above that mountain, there is an enemy. Okay? And that's huge. But going back to Hannah's prayer, the Lord takes the humble, and he exalts them. If you are poor, I have made you wealthy. Jonathan was the beginning in this chapter of Israel's history of us getting to see this new kingdom that takes the low and exalts it that takes the little and multiplies it, that brings our hearts down to a position to be able to receive him, that we might be exalted. Jonathan is the beginning of that for us, and that's why we're paying attention to him, not because he's so special, because he's pointing to this new kingdom. And that new kingdom that you already know is the kingdom that we live in with Jesus. That kingdom is the one where he, who is the highest of the high, became the lowest of the low. To be a God and wrap yourself in this skin and then to die the death of a criminal when you weren't a criminal in this skin and to be betrayed by the very men who had been outcasted in their communities and to watch them desert you and beat you and flog you and to do it willingly it does not get lower than that. I was thinking about this from every perspective. Even then, the Jews were an ethnic minority. So every possible area that God could be our high priest in, he is. He has met every qualification. So for him to become the lowest of the low, he gets it. He gets the highest of the high. He gets the lowest of the low. So he is the king that gets to establish how this kingdom functions. So that's the next slide. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment 
of everything that Saul, Jonathan, and David is like. Yeah. He's better than all of them. And we love David because he's the man after God's own heart. But Jesus is God. And that's why we worship him. And he and his beautiful kingdom heals our heart condition. Yeah. Not just condemns it, which is all that we could do at Saul's point. All we could do was say, Saul, you can't be king no more. I'm so sorry. Because that's all that was available. But that's not what's available for us anymore. What's available for us now is healing. Just like in that moment when I saw my tax stuff and I was like, God, he came in and healed my heart condition. Both physically and emotionally, mentally, he will heal your heart condition. He breaks all of our generational curses. Jonathan, if you haven't read this here, I'm so sorry. Jonathan dies right next to Saul later on in this book. And that's so sad because Jonathan is so valiant and we love him. And yet that curse that was on Saul, Saul eventually still kills his son. And that's awful. And that's an awful fate for us. If you ever love somebody who's come after you, that's an awful fate. But Jesus breaks that. This king breaks those kinds of curses. So that what was done for, uh, by our forefathers and mothers does not have to be our portion. And what we have done does not have to be our kids' portion. He has made it so that every man and woman individually could come to the Lord and say, I want you. And at that point, you get a new family. You get to be his daughter, his son, his brother, his sister. And you get that age. Lastly, this is a final Jesus wins every battle for us. If you got a battle, you don't need anything. You can take your little two swords and your farming equipment. He'll use whatever you have to win every battle because that's who he is. Jonathan and Saul are wonderful, but Jesus is who we're looking towards. So Hannah's song, song ends with, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Jesus is the king God strengthened and the anointed one that he exalted. Yes. And that's the point of all this. So in your own life, if any of this resonates with you, Jesus is available. Speak to him. He wants, he wants to do this for you. He wanted to be Israel's king. They didn't know how to receive it. So he sent Jesus so that anybody who didn't know how to receive him as king could not do it. He could just ask. For our campus, for our community, for our region, for this thing that God is doing, I feel very convinced that this humble to exaltation thing that he's doing, this, he's taking the low and exalting them, I feel very convinced that that is what he's doing in this season. I feel very convinced that that is a massive part of us moving to this Crestmont campus. And that's a massive part of what the Crestmont campus is, the gospel tab is about to do as a whole. All of us, I don't mean this in a harsh way, but you'll get it. All of us are misfits. Like, <laughs> this is what you trying to Is this your kickball team, God? Because, man, I don't know if I want to pick me first. But that is clearly not God's agenda. What he is doing is taking these people who are willing to be low enough to receive him as their king, and he is exalting them, not for their sake, though they will be healed, restored, and delivered in that. 
He is exalting them that other people might come and meet him. So in this time, I think it's good to be asking Jesus what he's doing with you. Where are you putting me? Is there some haughtiness? Is there some arrogance in me that you're bringing low? Bring it low, Jesus. I receive that. Is there some place where you're exalting me? Where you're honoring me? I receive that. I want to be where you are. Smack dab in the middle of where you are. you And he's so gentle and loving. He does not give you a snake if you ask for bread. Come on. His desire is to love you. Amen.